Good morning. My name is Jessica Kyle, and I am, here, I am a member here at McLean Prez. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 23, verse 15, through chapter 24, verse 12. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. And on the Sabbath day, they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, The men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, and he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home, marveling at what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Friends, good morning and the warmest of welcomes again to McLean Press. My name is James. I'm the senior pastor here and it's a delight to welcome you this Easter Sunday here in our sanctuary, down in our fellowship hall. I think we have every seat in our entire facility in that room packed in just now. So we're uh, glad that so many of you have joined us there and any worshiping with us online as well. It's a great privilege for us to be able to celebrate the resurrection together. And it's a great privilege for me to be able to stand up here and, and share share with you all some reflections on the resurrection from God's own word. Before we do that, though, let's bow our heads together and pray. Father, Easter week brings us into contact with eternal realities. As we celebrated your arrival in Jerusalem last Sunday, as we celebrated the last meal that you had with your disciples on Thursday, as we reflected upon your crucifixion this Friday, as we consider now the fact that you've risen from the dead again today, we are sombered because we recognize, Lord, that all of this was needed because of our own sin, because of things we've done we shouldn't have done, because of the things we've left undone that we should have done. But we're not just sombered, Lord, we're also encouraged deeply encouraged by the love that would not stop even at a cross and could not be stopped even by the grave. 
So Lord, I pray that in these moments, these eternal realities would break through into our current experience, into where we sit, into where I stand just now, into the very depths of our lives, that we would understand more of your love and its implications for us this resurrection morn. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So you know that feeling, there's nothing worse, right? You're uh, getting ready to go and watch your favorite show, perhaps a new movie, or maybe you've DVR'd your, your sports team, and then just before you go home to do it, someone gives the ending away. You find out the plot, the twist, the score. So they fall in love at the end, or he sees dead people, or, you know, your team lost, right? No warning, no spoiler alert, your colleague just blurted it out, or... Your mother-in-law put it on Facebook, right? (laughs) Not all illustrations are fictional, yeah. Um, (laughs) We are a people who tend not to like to know the end from the beginning. We don't like to know the end from the beginning. It seems to spoil the fun, but that creates a little bit of a challenge for the resurrection sermon. Guess how this one ends. (laughs) Jesus rises again. Like, I know it's April Fool's Day, but there's no fooling you on this one. Okay, so what I want to do in our time this morning is for us to just celebrate as a family. Celebrate as a family three beautiful truths about the resurrection. And as we do so, we might just see why sometimes it's actually better to know how the story ends. First thing Luke emphasizes for us when it comes to the resurrection this morning is quite simply that point one, it happened. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, it happened. The reality of the resurrection, it happened, and it's a game changer. We all know what a game changer is when there's a fumble on the goal line, when, you know, there's a a missed putt, when your star player fouls out. But our own lives also have these game-changing moments, events after which life will never be the same again. I think of the young mum who walked out into her backyard to find her six-year-old cold and blue, having accidentally hung himself on the family swing set. I think of the young husband who opened up his wife's inbox and discovered that she was having an affair. I think of the young sister who got a phone call telling her that her brother would be coming home, but he'd be coming home paralyzed from war. Game-changing moments. And we all have game-changing moments of our own. Friends, events can wreck your life. But the resurrection, this event will save it. And it happened. It happened. Look with me at verse 1. A group of women who had followed Jesus all his life have got up early. This is the kind of 730 crowd. Not you guys, okay? You missed it, right? They got up early, and verse 1 tells us that they went to the tomb. But then verse 3 tells us that they didn't see the body of the Lord Jesus. And so, verse 4, they were perplexed. Perplexed. They'd seen the tomb just a couple of days before, and now here they are, and Jesus has has gone. And as they're talking to one another and scratching their heads, verse 4, behold, two men appeared in white apparel. Now, the thing I love about the scene that unfolds is that everyone's confused. Okay, everyone in this scene is confused. First of all, the women are confused, and understandably so. Nothing's making sense. Dead bodies don't move, and angels don't appear. If we'd been there, we'd have been confused as well. But I find so, kind of some humor in the fact that the angels, they're really confused as well. 
they turn and they say, hey, um, why do you seek the living among the dead? Like, what are you guys doing here? Like, Jesus is risen just as he said, verse 6. Like, he told you he's gone already, yeah? Uh, did you not know that the Son of Man had to, had to rise again on the third day? Like, resurrection was always the plan. What are you guys doing here? Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. It's the certainty of the fact that Christ has, has risen. When this glorious truth dawns upon the woman, they rush off to tell the first disciples. Uh, we see Peter in verse 12, hears the news, jumps up, and rushes off. Why? Because he goes to the tomb. And see what he says when you get there in verse 12? He, steeps, he stoops down, he looks in, and he marvels at what? At what had happened. What had happened? The resurrection of Jesus Christ, a reality that happened in time and space. A mind-blowing, astonishing, remarkable fact. It's so remarkable, in fact, that the early disciples couldn't accept it. You see in verses 10 and 11, when the women rush and tell the disciples what has happened, Peter, yes, believes and rushes off, but the rest of them say that to them it seemed like an idle tale, and they didn't believe what had been told them. You see, we, we have this temptation to think that first century people, people 2,000 years ago, were kind of... Um, you know, just willing to believe anything, that they just sort of weren't as sort of sophisticated as we are, which is a very snobby way to look back on history. But the fact is, the first disciples didn't really believe it either. They responded exactly as we would have responded if we heard such things today. And yet, all of them came to believe. All of them came to believe. And throughout the centuries, Christians have come and confronted the evidence, an empty tomb that demands some kind of explanation, named eyewitnesses who provide verification, even an angelic appearance to confirm that what's happening here is, isn't normal, it's, it's supernatural. And as they've been confronted through the ages, like the first disciples, millions of Christians have come to believe the same. The clear testimony of Scripture, the resurrection happened and it changes the game. How so? How does it change the game? Point two. Luke's keen to emphasize not only did the resurrection happen, but point two, it had to happen. The resurrection had to happen. Not just uh, the reality of the resurrection, but the necessity of the resurrection as well. And we see this in the words that the angels speak to the woman. They say, do you not remember that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again? They're emphasizing to the woman, do you not remember Jesus repeatedly told his followers that both crucifixion and resurrection were necessary for salvation? So be careful, friends, not to think of the resurrection as, you know, like um, the kind of cherry on top. No, no, both crucifixion and resurrection were necessary for salvation. Crucifixion was necessary because of sin. There's a tension that runs throughout the Bible where on one hand we see that God is, is holy and just, and because he is holy and just, he can't simply overlook sin. He can't just simply act like, you know, it never happened. Let's just, you know, pretend, you know, let bygones be bygones. 
And, and that actually makes sense to us because we, we feel that ourselves. When we see evil and injustice in the world, we know that it would be wrong for that to go unpunished. When we see school shooters, when we see abusers, when we see bombers, we demand that that sin be punished. But we also have to be humble and admit the same is true about the evil that's inside of ourselves. God can't simply overlook our sin either. So it's holy and just. He can't just overlook sin. But the tension comes because he's not just holy and just. He is also um, merciful and loving. And he wants to forgive. He doesn't want to punish sins. He, he wants to forgive. And the remedy to this tension is found in the death of Christ. It's found in the very death of Christ as he comes to satisfy divine justice so that God can forgive. He dies in our place so that we can live. You've probably seen the tributes flowing in for French police officer Arnaud Beltrame. Last weekend, he was killed, saving the lives of uh, several civilians who'd been besieged in a supermarket in southern France by an Islamist gunman. Uh, police had arrived and had managed to get many people out of the supermarket, but uh, the gunman held onto one woman and was using her as a, as a human shield. And at this point, our Nobel Tram volunteered to go in and swap himself for her. He volunteered to go in and take her place. Well, he hadn't been in there all that long when he was stabbed and shot and killed. Uh, the autopsy revealed that he died from stab wounds to his throat. He died she lived. He died so that she could live. In his eulogy, French President Emmanuel Macron said, this is beautiful, to be willing to give your life so that innocent people might live is the heart of the soldier's promise. And we say, yeah, that might be true. <laughs> but to be willing to give your life so that guilty people like might live that's the heart of Christ's promise. And that's why he had to die. But, but not only was death, not only was crucifixion necessary, also life and resurrection are necessary. Remember, I said, don't think of the resurrection as like the cherry on top, as the kind of dramatic flourish, as this like cool party trick to impress the crowd at the very end of his life. No, Jesus had to die, but he also had to rise again. Thomas Miller, who is a surgeon, reflects back on the resurrection, and he calls it the verifying event. The verifying event to prove that God's wrath against sin has been fully satisfied and that nothing else needs to be done in order to bring us back into relationship with him. It is a verifying event. Um, it's kind of like a receipt. Uh, who goes to Costco? Right? Anyone go to Costco? I love Costco. Right? Where else can you go and buy 72 batteries the largest pizza you've seen in your life, chocolate muffins the size of your face, and new tires for your car, right? <laughs> all in one place. So you go in and you load your car up with all sorts of stuff, and then you make your way through the checkout, and then you head for the door. But before you get there, what happens? Out of nowhere, a Costco employee appears and demands to see your receipt. Is all of this paid for in full? I like to look guilty and kind of pad my like, pockets. <laughs> and then brandish a receipt that unfolds like a scroll, right? 
and say, don't look at me like that. My 53-gallon bottle of olive oil is paid for in full, right? <laughs> the resurrection is the verifying event. It is the God's cosmic receipt that proves that the wages of sin, death itself, has been paid for in full. As a prisoner gets up and walks free when his sentence has been served, so Jesus Christ gets up from the grave and walks free, offering us eternal life because the sentence for our sin, even death itself, has been fully paid for in him. The resurrection had to happen. Now, friends, lest we think that this is just sort of abstract theological, you know, niceties. Let's see our third point. Because not only did the resurrection happen, not only did it have to happen, but, but thirdly, we haven't understood the resurrection until we've understood that point three. Um, it happened for you. It happened. It had to happen. But it happened for you. Look down at verse 47 of chapter 24. We didn't read this section earlier, but later on, the risen Christ appears to his disciples and he says to them, yeah, you know, the Son of Man, I had to die and I had to rise in order that forgiveness of sin might be proclaimed in my name to all nations. See that there in verse 47? Forgiveness of sin might be proclaimed in my name to all the nations. I did all this so that all people might receive forgiveness. Now, who's included in all people? Fellow Americans, we are. And Scots, and Germans, and Kenyans, and Brazilians, and Argentinians, and all the rest. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus died and rose again that we might have life, that we might be forgiven and receive life. You know, it's been 20 years since Tom Hanks starred in a movie called Saving Private Ryan. It's uh, set uh, in the context of um, World War II and the invasion of Normandy, and it follows the action of Tom Hanks as an army ranger going behind the scenes to try and rescue Private Ryan, the last remaining uh, brother of four servicemen who finds himself trapped behind these enemy lines. And so Hanks and his crew of rangers go, go in to try and rescue him. And it's a powerful movie, and it's a brutal movie. It displays humanity at its best and at its worst in the context of the bloodiest of wars. Good movie, but it contains one galling flaw. Near the end of the movie, Tom Hanks is fatally wounded, right? And he's dying, right? That's a flaw in of itself. Who wants to see Tom Hanks die, right? No one, right? He's great. So near the end of the movie, that's not the galling flaw, though. That's the flaw. Uh, near the end of the movie, he, he's, he's dying. He's had to give his own life in order to rescue Private Ryan. And as life is ebbing away from him, he breathes uh, his last words as he looks Private Ryan in the eyes, and he says, earn this. Earn it. The sacrifice of my men, the sacrifice of my own life. We did this to save you, so earn this. Earn it. Now, that's a flaw because no ranger would ever say that. Right? The motto of the 75th Ranger Regiment is sua sponte, which means of his own accord. Rangers are proud of the fact that they volunteer, and rangers ask for nothing in return. And so it is with Jesus Christ. You know that Jesus Christ doesn't 
die and then rise and then come to the woman and come to the disciples and come to us this morning and say, earn this. Earn it. I died and rose again. Like the least you can do is clean up your act. I died and rose again. Like the least you can do is is be here in church. In fact, I died and rose again. The least you can do is tithe. Jesus didn't die and rise again so that he might come and tell us that salvation is by works. He did this for me and he did this for you that salvation might be by his grace. So don't look at us, Satan. We got the receipt. We got the receipt. It demonstrates that all our sin is paid for fully by the king. My sin your sin. Every single one. So perhaps we see why sometimes it's better to know how the story ends. I read a study by uh, two psychologists at UC San Diego who had looked into uh, how people enjoy uh, reading um, novels and short stories based on whether or not they know how the story finishes. And so they gave participants 12 stories by authors such as Agatha Christie and Roald Dahl, and uh, they gave some of them the stories just in their original form, but then they gave some of them spoiler paragraphs to tell them how the story ends. Well, guess what? They did tests to see which group enjoyed, the, enjoyed reading the books more? And the spoiled readers had more fun. Turned out that for some people, knowing how the story ends made things more fun. Well, friends, spoiler alert. Your story ends in life. And knowing how your story ends changes your time here on earth. A comparison of the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts shows us how the resurrection changed those first disciples. Do you remember before the resurrection, there were a petty group of men who were obsessed with prestige and power. They used to bicker among themselves as to who would be the most important in heaven. But after the resurrection, they didn't care anymore about status and lived only to serve others like their master had done. Or, or before the resurrection, remember that they would associate only, only with Jews. But after the resurrection, they lived in diverse communities, breaking all the boundaries of race and class. Before the resurrection, they were self-confident and smug, and yet would go on to betray Christ in his moment of greatest need. And yet, after the resurrection, they were self-forgetful and willing to suffer even persecution and death. How do we explain this change? They now knew that their story would end in life. And that knowledge changed their time on earth. I don't know what you're wrestling with this morning. I don't know what it is exactly that you are going through. Struggling with unemployment or with addiction or in your marriage or with your kids or struggling with loneliness or maybe even grief. Well, friends, spoiler alert, your story ends in life. And it changes everything. It changes everything on our time here on earth. It enables a young sister to spoon feed her paralyzed brother, knowing that one day he'll feed himself again. And the feast that awaits in heaven is so real, they can almost taste it now. It enables a a young husband who's been so betrayed to somehow manage to forgive, 
because he knows the glorious future that awaits and he wants to walk there with his wife. It enables a young mother to kiss her dead son goodbye, knowing that she'll kiss him again one day. The separation is bitter, but the reunion will be sweeter. At Easter, we celebrate the fact that Jesus rose again. Sometimes it's better to know how the story ends. The resurrection happened. It had to happen, and it happened for you. Spoiler alert, your story ends in life. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Say it with me. He is risen. Father, we thank you for the fact that death could not contain your son, that he tasted it, he experienced it, and then he conquered it, that we ourselves might have life. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give each of us faith. Perhaps we're here this morning and we've never really given our lives to him. I pray that you would enable us to do just that, that we would take all that we are to Christ and find that he forgives us full and free and that he even gives us the grace to live beautiful lives until we make it to eternity. And for those of us, Lord, who would describe ourselves as Christians, uh, our prayer is the same. It's for, for faith. Would these eternal truths, these eternal realities break into our experience today? Would our knowledge of your love and grace change our lives here on earth? We pray in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.